Hey, right on. Good deal. I am so excited about spring. I don't, is anyone else just like the, the sun shining, the, the butterflies? How about those butter? Did you see the butterflies? How cool was that? If you don't know what we're talking about, go Google it after church. Um, there are like a billion painted lady butterflies flying through Southern California. And you know, I was, uh, I was over at the Thrive Center where our church office is and and they were just fl- fluttering through the parking lot and be, this, before I knew what was going on, but I was just marveling at the, the goodness of God and the majesty of God. It's something like, so simple, like a butterfly, just or billion butterflies flying through your neighborhood, and you realize how big God is, right? He is worthy to be praised. Total aside, but that was just kind of fun this week. Hey, would you open your Bibles to Luke chapter 6? We're continuing our series this morning. Uh, on character foundations, character foundations. We've talked about obedience and humility as being two key aspects to our, our foundations in Christ and, and walking with Jesus in a way that's deeply rooted. Um, a foundation, as we all know, is this. It's the part of the building that everything is built on top of. It's the part that you don't really see under this building right here is a foundation, but we don't see the foundation, and, and we don't always appreciate the foundation. You don't walk into a beautiful home and go, wow, this, this house has a beautiful foundation, right? You, you see everything that is the result of and built on top of that foundation, and our lives are in very much the same way. There's this foundational aspects of our lives that need to be in place so that everything else can be built on top of it and be solid. So Jesus says here in Luke chapter 6, and we'll just jump right into the word this morning. Jesus says this, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They were like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck the house, but it could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built his house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck the house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. Real simple picture here that Jesus uses to illustrate what it means to hear and obey his word, to do the things that he's told us to do. And you would think that would be easy, right? Jesus says, do this, and you just do it. And anyone just like, you're like, yep, I got that down, I'm, I'm killing it, I'm, I'm rocking that, it's not a problem for me. Yeah, don't raise your hand, because none of us, right, just nail that the, right out of the gate. That there's a process that we have to get into where we start saying, Jesus, I want to do what you tell me to do. I want to establish those foundational places in my life where I actually live out your word. We actually do the things and walk in obedience to what you've called me to walk in. But those are not things that are done on a whim. They're not done just randomly. I, I said last week that, that like saying, uh, saying I'm going to be humble today is like getting up in the morning and say, today I'm going to be in shape. I choose to be in shape today. I'm going to be fit today. It doesn't work that way. There's a process that has to happen. Foundations go through a process of being established before something can be built on top of them. And so we have to look at what are the foundational things in our lives. And so we're speaking specifically about character foundations, aspects of our character, who we are when no one's looking. In fact, the, the, the analogy of the foundation carries here because it's the foundation that's below the ground. And so we've used this picture of, um, of a foundation and, and uh, as being the private part of our life, and can we put that up? Is that in there? No? There it is. The private and the public part of our life, the private being that below the surface, it's the part that supports everything that's above. And so often what happens is we neglect the private and we give more attention to the public. And it creates an imbalance or, 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 or a structure in our lives where the public and what's seen on the outside cannot be supported by what's really happening in the unseen and hidden parts of our lives. And so Jesus addresses this and he says, you have to make sure that your life 
And the way you live your life and the way that you walk in obedience to my word is like this man building a house on the rock. We have to dig deep. So we've talked about obedience and humility. And this morning I want to speak about brokenness. Brokenness. You might be thinking, well, wait a minute. Brokenness doesn't sound very foundational, right? I don't want want a broken foundation. But brokenness is absolutely essential for us in order for us to walk in maturity and and, and in fruitfulness in our lives before the Lord. We would never think like, Lord, I want to pursue brokenness. And the reality is we don't have to pursue it, right? We're already there. You've made it. You're there. You are broken. And so we have to recognize that brokenness is an essential part uh, of our lives before the Lord. Why? And this is my first point this morning. It's this, is that brokenness reminds us of our need for God. Brokenness reminds us of our desperate need for God. That we can't do this on our own. That you don't have the strength to save yourself, to lead yourself, to bring about victory in your life. We are helpless. You ever feel helpless? We are helpless. We have times and and moments in our lives, even as as Bob was saying earlier, that Lord, things, things go sideways. Things are difficult at times in our lives. Things don't always go the way we plan. And sometimes, God, in the midst of that, I can't feel you and I can't see you. And we kind of freak out a little bit and we struggle. But to know this is when when I know that I'm broken, when I recognize that I'm broken, it, it reminds me that I need God. More than anything else in this life, I Need God. So brokenness reminds us of our desperate need for God. I remember when I was a kid, probably seven or eight years old, I went shopping with my mom. She was, it's such, so crazy. You ever have those vivid memories from when you were a kid? You're like, I can't believe I remember this much detail. But it was a, it was a somewhat traumatic experience for me because we went fabric shopping. (laughs) We were fabric shopping and we were in this huge fabric store and, um, and I was messing around uh, because it was really cool that the, the racks were like these round racks. And if you crawled under, you could get inside and it was like a little fort, like a, like a kid's dream. And so I was just playing. My sister was playing. We were playing hide and seek and we're playing fort because, you know, I felt like my mom was shopping completely too long. We didn't need to be there. So we had to find ways to enter. We did not have devices back then, right? So we, we created our own games. Except for the fact that they got to a point where I hid so well that my mom couldn't find me, and then I couldn't find her. You remember that feeling when you're a kid, or maybe as a parent when you lose a kid, right? And, and you know, we, we have four kids. There has never been a time where we lost one of our kids and we're like, oh, well, at least we have three more, <laughs> right? It, it's all good, right? We're, 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 still, we're still, you know, it's a pretty good batting average. We're, we're doing all right. No, everything goes into find the kid or find mom mode, right? Everything. You ever seen that, that kid at Disneyland or, uh, I mean, getting Disney, lost at Disneyland is not too bad because there's a lot of people around there going to help you out. But we went to LA County Fair last year. That's not a place where you want to lose your kid, right? Man, just massive people. And so everything Every part of your fiber, your being just goes into, I have to find my mom. I remember that feeling as a kid. I've got to find her. I was desperately looking for my mom because I knew that I couldn't find my way home. I didn't watch how we had gotten there. I didn't have money to pay, to, to pay someone to drive me home. I, I was lost. I was lost. I was in a state of brokenness. I suggest this morning that's the way we need to be with Jesus. See, Jesus isn't saying, hey, do everything I'm telling you to do because he's a control freak, right? It's because Jesus knows we don't know the way home. We don't know how to get to where we're supposed to be. And left to our own devices, we will get lost every single time. And so he says, do the things I'm telling you to do because they are life to you. And if you don't do them, you will, you will be separated 
from me. In John 15, 5, he says this, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Listen to this. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We need to remind ourselves of this every single day. Because the lie of the enemy, and quite often the lie we tell ourselves is, I got this. I can do it. This is familiar. I know what I'm up to. And so we have to recognize that apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. See, we live in a world that promotes and celebrates self-sufficiency. It's so crazy on YouTube right now. There's all of these people that will go out and like get lost in the woods on purpose right, to, 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 to survive. And I think it just kind of harkens to this, this lost thing in our lives where, you know, where we kind of figure things out. But, you know, but, but what ends up being, what ends up happening is we celebrate like this, hey, self-sufficient. But it's not just in survival mode. It's in, in our finances. It's in our families and in our marriages and our, and our work. And we start thinking, I can do this in my own strength. Try harder, go faster, jump higher, Right, climb the ladder, do what I need to do. I've done this myself and I don't need help. And I tell you this morning, there is no such thing as a self-made man or woman. You hear that, right? Oh, they're a self-made person. No, you're not. In any shape or fashion, you are not self-made. You did not choose to be born, right? You did not knit yourself together in your mother's womb. God did that. And every step you have taken has been ordered by him. On top of that, no one functions and can thrive and live outside of a relationship with other people. They show studies of of infants in orphanages who were never held in the, the, the former Eastern Bloc or the nations that separated from the Soviet Union. There were orphanages that were filled with kids that just were, were born into these, these horrible circumstances and they were finding that at about seven or eight years old, these kids who were never held, never loved, right? They were given exercise, uh, just kind of the bare minimum and they were, they were fed, they had food to eat. But about seven or eight years old, these kids would go to sleep and just not wake up, would just not wake up. And what they're discovering is that outside of relationship, this lack of relationship, and that need for being connected, there was just no will to live. See, we need people. We cannot be self-made. We cannot survive on our own. Yet the culture, indefinitely, the enemy wants to convince you otherwise. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden when, 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 when Satan says to Eve, hey, God doesn't want you to eat that fruit because when you do, your eyes will be open." And then you can do the stuff that God does and you won't need him anymore. And that was tempting to her. Why? Because there's this nature inside of us. There's this thing inside of us that we want to rise up. We want to be better. And there's a good dynamic to that. There's good motivation in that. But more often than not, it becomes a blind spot for us. See, our culture tells us, especially when you're little Asking for help is weakness. This idea that if you ask for help, you're weak, right? You raise your hand in class, you're dumb. If you ask too many questions, you're just not smart. No, you just don't know the answer, right? We all need that help. We don't thrive in that kind of environment. So Jesus contrasts it and says this. He goes, without him, we're helpless, He recognizes our broken and our frail state, but he has a solution. He says, if you want to produce fruit in your life, if you want to grow, just stay connected to me. Stay connected to who I am. Listen to the words I say. Build your house on this rock and you will produce fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. These things are only produced because we're connected and dependent on God. And what's amazing is that when we are separated from Him, it exposes our frailty. It exposes our frailty. You cut a branch off of a tree, what's going to happen to it? It's going to wither and 
fade and it's going to die. It is not going to produce fruit anymore. It becomes susceptible to destruction. When we are separated from God, all that can happen is this, is that we wither and we fade and we become susceptible to destruction. So Jesus says that we need to remain attached to him. We understand, though, in that we stay attached to him because we don't have it in and and of ourselves because we are broken. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, reading from verses 6 to 10. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. So Paul's basically saying, I've got lots of reasons to boast that are valid, that are valid. But I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. Or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And this whole thing sounds like an oxymoron. It sounds backwards. Wait a minute, Paul. You're going to boast in your weakness? You're going to boast in the hardships? You're going to celebrate the things that that are painful in your life? That doesn't make sense. See, but Paul was so connected to Jesus. He had pressed so far into the presence of Jesus that the closer he got to Jesus, the more the the brokenness in in his life was highlighted. See, the closer you get to Jesus, the more you're gonna see of who you really are. I say that again. The closer you get to Jesus, the more you're gonna see who you really are. See, I believe that some one of the reasons that we struggle with spiritual disciplines is not because we're lazy. I believe that there's a lot of fear. That if I start really spending time with Jesus, I'm going to get this picture of who I am, and I don't really want to see those things. But you see, that's a lie from the enemy, because God doesn't expose us to hurt us. He exposes and He reveals things in our lives to build us up to establish stronger and firmer foundations. See, Paul had reasons to boast. He had reasons to boast. He had done some pretty amazing things. He had done some pretty horrible things. But he had also done some pretty amazing things. And when it came to just piety and, and, and living this life for the Lord and, and, and being committed to the, the, the law and, and being a good Jewish man, and he hit it out of the park. And even once he came to Jesus and started serving the Lord and followed in obedience, going on missionary journeys, being sent out of Antioch to go and travel. And he just went. He did what God called him to do. And there was incredible fruit that came out of his ministry. He had reason to boast, but he refrained. He held back. He didn't toot his own horn. Why? Because he didn't want to give people a reason to think more of him than they should. And we'll do that with people, won't we? We'll see people that we think are pretty admirable, and we'll just kind of prop them up. We'll put them on a pedestal, right? We'll say, wow, you're, you're incredible, you're amazing. And they can actually become bigger in our minds than they really are, and we forget that they're just people. They're just people. Read the news for five minutes. And you start realizing there's all of these people in the world around us that one day are revered, right? right? And the next day are being ridiculed. Why? Because they're just people. People who are broken and people are frail. And Paul goes, listen, I have reason to boast, but I'm not going to boast. I'm not going to boast about these things. 
I'm going to, in fact, I'm going to scale back from that. I'm going to celebrate the brokenness and the weakness. You know, and he says then that there's this thorn in his flesh. And God gives him something that would torment him, a messenger of Satan. Now, here's what we know. We don't know what that is. There's no clarity. There's speculation about what it might be. Uh, in Galatians, Paul references his eyes. He struggles with his eyesight. And, and he says to the Galatians in an expression of love to them, I, I know you care about me. And I know that in, in the midst of my illness that you, you were looking out for me and you would have taken out your own eyes and given them to me if you could have. So there's a little clue there that he struggled with eyesight. In fact, in that same letter, he says, you know, I'm writing with really big letters right? Big words, because my eyesight is bad, right? And so Paul had issues. Some people say maybe it was migraines. Some say maybe it was temptation in, in, in other aspects. But I love the fact that he doesn't tell us what the thorn in the flesh is. You know why? See, because we would read it and go, oh, I don't struggle with that. I'm good, right? So he keeps it vague in general. So it'll apply to everything, that feels like a thorn in our flesh. Right. See, he doesn't elaborate. We'd miss the larger point of what he was saying. This is the point, though. Paul, this incredible, incredible man of God, not only was weak and broken, he recognized that he was weak and broken. See, his brokenness was foundational to his dependence on God and his ability to walk in obedience and humility before God. In fact, tying together what we talked about last week in regards to humility, you might say, well, isn't brokenness kind of, yes, it's the same thing, but hum humility is simply, you know, it's, it's this part of me that recognizes who God is and who I am and my standing before God and that I don't think of myself more highly than I ought brokenness takes it even further. It's pressing in below the surface to actually identify and see those parts of my life that are fragile, that do not hold up. See, Paul's brokenness kept him absolutely 100% dependent on God, which is why later on when he's in a prison cell, he can say, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. See, there was a depth to Paul's life that when the storms were raging on the outside, what was below the surface kept him grounded, absolutely grounded. He was given a prophetic word, the prophet that came to him and said, listen, if you go back to Jerusalem, what's going to end up happening is that your hands and your feet are going to be bound and you're going to be let off in chains. And Paul says, that's okay. I'm okay with that because this is where God is leading me to go and I'm going to walk in obedience. And that's exactly what happened. But because of what was below the surface, it sustained Paul in his journey with Jesus. He's writing this letter, by the way, to the church in Corinth. And Corinth wrestled in the city as a community and their culture wrestled with a couple of things. They, they celebrated and valued success and power. Does that sound familiar, right? Does it sound like us today? They celebrated and, 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 and valued success and power. For them, there was no room for failure or for weakness. And this culture had made its way into the church. And so the people who seemed like they had it all together rose to the top. And those who were broken ended up going to the bottom, which is why Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12 as he's talking about the body of Christ. He says, listen, the parts of the body that, that, that are, are, are less presentable, broken, deserve more honor. They, we treat them with a special kind of respect because he's trying to correct a kind of thinking in the church that says, you know what, if, if you match these things, if you, if you perform well, if you're eloquent, if you dress nicely, Right? If, you, if you just you, you play the, the lyre really well or whatever, whatever instrument, then, then you, become, right? you become revered and celebrated. But if you have nothing to offer, well, you can still come, but we're not going to pay attention to you. That's not the body of Christ. And so Paul addresses this in the church. And so again, he's writing right here in 1 Corinthians telling them, listen, in my own life, 
I have reason to boast. In your eyes, in your community, in your fellowship, and in your culture, I would be the top dog. But I choose not to boast because everybody is broken. Everybody is broken, even the people who look like they aren't. Even they are broken. You see, we have this culture where we don't make mistakes. I got to uh, go with a couple of guys from church here on a really cool expedition a few weeks ago. We went to go tour uh, SpaceX, the, the manufacturing facility uh, for these rockets. Thanks, Andrew. That was awesome. Um, he, he got that door open through relationship, and he's like, do you want to go? And I'm like, yeah, I want to go. And we got to stand this right in front of all of this. I mean, they literally are assembling these rocket boosters that, you know, within weeks will be going into space. And there's no glass. There's just a painted stripe on the floor. You're just right there. And we're walking around. And it's just the coolest culture. And SpaceX, if you're not aware of, uh, of this company, they're doing things that were thought impossible in space travel. Uh, their, their biggest achievement thus far has been reclaiming or relanding the boosters that launched the, 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 the space vehicle or the, the second stage up into space. That first stage separates and it comes back and it lands and they're able to save millions of dollars. It was said that that was impossible. It could not be done. And I think now out of something like 34, 35 launches, they've recovered uh, like 27 or 28 times doesn't sound impossible, impossible anymore. They are on the cutting edge of, of development when it comes to space travel. And the guy that was giving us a tour is a software, software engineer, and he, he made this statement, and it was worth the whole trip for me because he said this. He says that NASA, who, who are literally 50 years behind, NASA is 50 years behind when it comes to developing space uh, space exploration technology. They are still using the same technology that sent sent those Atlas rockets to the moon. He says at NASA, they have a culture where if you make a mistake, you're out. They are looking for perfection. They are looking for a zero-mistake environment. And what Elon Musk has done at SpaceX is he celebrates mistakes. He says, hey, let's make lots of mistakes because if we're not making mistakes, we're not learning. And so they try all kinds of stuff. And he was telling us they, they had a rocket booster that was coming back down to Earth and it missed its target. And they, they, they pack these things with explosives so that if they miss their target, they just blow up. They self-destruct so they don't injure anyone. And so this rocket missed its target, blew up over the ocean. And he says at the control center, they were celebrating and cheering because the backup system and the self-destruct system functioned. Right? I'm like, what a great perspective. Right. We so often in our culture, in the church, are going, hey, we're expecting perfection. And God says, you can't do perfect because you're broken. Jesus can do perfect, and we have a goal to try to be like him, but we are broken. And so I, I was thinking, in the church, what does that look like? How do we adopt a culture that says, hey, let's just try some stuff, and if it works, great, and if it doesn't, at least we learned something. But I know the church culture I grew up in was like, you better just make sure you are doing your part and looking the role, and, you know, and, and I don't want to go to church on Sunday and tell people that I'm hurting and things are a mess in my life, right? And we put permigrant on. And I don't think that's what God designed us to be. Paul's telling the church in Corinth, this is not who God's designed us to be. There's something missing, something foundational, something of a character issue that's going on. We need to recognize that we're broken. See, because it's in our brokenness that his strength is made perfect. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He says, I will boast about my weaknesses gladly. Why? So that Christ's power may rest on me. God, I'm dependent on you. I need you. I am desperate for you. And the more broken I realize I am, the more I need Jesus. And can I tell you, there's no better place to be. There's no better place to be. We need God. See, that same performance mentality creeps in to our lives. And it tells us that 
our value comes from, is derived from what we do. That our value is based on our performance. So any failure to perform inherently, whether overtly or or covertly, directly or indirectly, any failure to perform, (coughs) excuse me, decreases my value. Do you see that? If my value is based on my performance, then I'm going to have to do everything to perform or at least look like I'm performing. Because if I mess up, then my value decreases. That's not the church. That's not the body of Christ. That's not what God has designed for us. See, my value is found in one thing only, and that is in the person of Jesus Christ. My identity is hidden in God, not in what I do. See, and so if that's the issue, if my performance is tied to value, then what I need to do is I have to hide and conceal and lie to cover my brokenness. And and when I do that, then I feel guilt and shame because of the lying and the cover-up. And it creates an opportunity for the enemy to just come in and wreak havoc. And, and here's the real issue. No one covers up that well. Right? We think we're getting away with it. Right? You're, it's like with a kid who's done something they're not supposed to do and they think they're got, they got away with it and the parent knows all the while. All, right? Our kids, it was amazing watching them grow up. Micah could not lie to save his life. Well, you asked him a question, his face would just get all crunchy and distorted, and you're like, sorry, buddy. <laughs> like, I know you're not telling the truth. Blake, on the other hand, would just lie. Sir. Yeah, you would never know the difference. But we also discovered with him, if we asked him a question, he would answer it honestly, even if it meant he got in trouble. And so we had to figure out with our kids, just a little parenting advice there, because we would treat them the same way and it, was, and it didn't go well until we realized, wait, they're not the same. Applies to us as well. God doesn't treat us the same because we're not the same. That he treats us individually and he loves us individually. See, it always finds a way to come out. Your brokenness will show whether you want it to or not. See, Pete Gazzaro calls this, the writer of Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, he says it's, it's, it's called this facing your shadow. And everything we do has a shadow. The good things that we do cast a shadow. So, for example, you might be really good at something, which is good. Something that should be celebrated. Something that is, uh, you know, adds to the body and adds to the kingdom and, and, and using your gifts. That's great. The shadow could be this, that you develop an insatiable need for affirmation. So that when you do the thing that you're good at, you're waiting for someone to tell you what a good job you did. Amen? You could do something, you could really have high standards in your, you could just be like, I'm a person who does things with excellence, which is good. I want to do things well. I'm not going to do things halfway. I'm going to go all the way. I'm going to do it really well. That's great. The shadow could be this, is that any small mistake could be devastating. It also means that there could be no room for other people to participate with you. See, because other people make mistakes. And if I have a high standard for excellence, I'll just do it myself so it's done right. That's a shadow. That's a, that's a part of brokenness. That's not God's heart. He invites us to participate. You might have a zeal for doctrine and truth. You might just be a scholar of the word and you are like, I am committed to sound doctrine. Awesome. The shadow could be this, you could prevent you from loving people who disagree with you. By the way, if you hop on social media, you find people who love Jesus and love his words, love his word and are just absolute jerks to everybody, right? And they will get into arguments and debates that are not healthy. Why? Well, I'm standing for truth. No, no, no. Right? There's a love component that has to go. In fact, Jesus talked more about the love part, and he led with the grace part. 
Maybe you love to serve. You're like, I'm just a servant. I serve everywhere I go. I'm always asking how I can, how I can help and what I can do. And, and that's great. We love that. We celebrate that. The shadow could be this, though, using service as a way to hide from connecting with other people. That if I'm busy, I don't have to talk to people. I don't have to face them. <coughs> Excuse me. See, there's shadows to these things, and we have to face the shadows. Ephesians 4, 26 through 27 says this, In your anger, do not sin. How many of you are like, what? <laughs> I don't, that's, Benny's got it. <laughs> In your anger, do not sin. I don't get that. Why? Because I'm broken. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. So what Paul is saying here is, there is place to be angry. There is room in our lives for anger. But then he says, but don't sin. When you're angry, don't sin. This is where our brokenness gets exposed. This is where my brokenness gets exposed. Because I don't really know how to be angry and not sin. Because those teams seem so tied to each other. And so what I have to do is come to before Jesus and say, God, this is a point of brokenness in my life. Would you teach me how to do that, how to live that out? Because I do not want to give the devil a foothold. See, your brokenness will come out in things like anger and jealousy and envy of others. It comes out when we do and say things out of fear of what people think. Our brokenness comes out when we say yes, when we should say no. We fill our lives with busyness and activity. Our brokenness is exposed when we revere and idolize others who have gifts we want. And we compare ourselves to them and we feel less than. I'll tell you, I... Uh, I stopped looking at Instagram because there's some amazing pastors on Instagram and I found myself comparing myself and I had to decide just to delete it and stay off of it because every awesome post from every other pastor made me feel less than. Now, it wasn't their goal. They're, they're being effective, but I recognized a point of brokenness and my desire is to find healing in that part of my life so it's not a struggle anymore. But I had to be real with God and say, God, I'm struggling with this because I want to compare myself. See, that's a point of brokenness. See, brokenness is exposed when we don't want someone to succeed because they've hurt us. That I don't want you to have a good day because you were mean to me. Our brokenness is exposed when we find ourselves stuck in destructive patterns and relationships and we can't figure out why. Why are we going around this mountain again? Why am I dealing with this thing again? And there's so many more, but, but the point is this. Your brokenness will find a way to come out and rather than lying to ourselves and telling ourselves that those things don't matter, what we have to do is face them and say, God, I am messed up, but I need you. I need you. I need you in my life. See, he says, my grace is sufficient for you and my power is made perfect in weakness. Then I want to say, God, then find out all the weakness in me because I want more of your power. I want more of your power. A.W. Tozer wrote this. He said, don't trust the leader who doesn't walk with a limp, without a limp with a limp. Don't trust the leader who doesn't walk with a limp. See, leaders who seem too good to be true probably are. But it applies to all of us that we can look at people around us and go, oh, they're incredible. No, they're just people. And for every person that you're looking at, maybe someone's looking at you. When you get a taste of that and you go, yeah, no, if I've got anything to boast about, it's this. I've got to boast in my weaknesses. I boast in my weaknesses. So my question this morning for you is this. Do you have a limp? Do you have a limp? Ask God to show you what those are. So brokenness reminds us that we need God. The other thing that brokenness does 
is it causes, causes us to recognize sin in our lives. And, and, and it causes us to respond to sin appropriately. See, we need to be broken over our sin. In the Old Testament, we see the comparison of two kings, the first two kings of Israel, Saul and David. And we don't have time to read these stories in, in, in their entirety. But there's an account in 1 Samuel 13 of King Saul who is sent out to battle. And, and, and Samuel, you know, at first he's kind of puffed up to the point that he's like, hey, we got this army and we're going to do amazing. Actually send some of the soldiers home. He's like, we can do this without you guys. We got this. You get out of here. And when they line up and they face the armies of the Philistines, they realize they're outnumbered and they start freaking out. And Samuel had told Saul, hey, I'll be there in seven days. Don't make the sacrifice to the Lord until I get there because they always did that before they went into battle. They offered a sacrifice to the Lord and said, God, we can't do this without you. But Samuel said specifically to Saul, don't do this without me. Wait till I get there. Well, seven days kind of came and went, and Samuel's running late. And so Saul, in the midst of his freakout, says, I'll just do it myself. And so he makes sacrifice to the Lord. And as they're getting done making the sacrifice to the Lord, Samuel shows up and he says to Saul, What are you doing? I gave you specific instructions, and you didn't do what I said. And you know, Saul's response is telling he makes a mistake, but it's his response that's the problem. He starts making excuses. Well, you weren't here yet, and I thought, and the men, and the army, and the blah, 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 blah. And he starts making excuses for his brokenness. And Samuel in that moment says, you know what? This was a defining moment for you, Saul. If you had walked in obedience to the Lord, he would establish your throne over Israel forever. But now there's another. And he references David and he says there's another whose heart is after God. So we have King David who follows Saul, who recognizes broken, but he was arrogant in the midst of that. He was, he, he, he was confronted with his sin and then he goes, hey, I'm going to make excuses. And by the way, it was the only time he did that. When confronted with his own sin, he blamed people, he gave reasons, he painted a picture of why. David comes on the scene and David is no better in the fact that he makes mistakes, even bigger mistakes than Saul made. David conspires, after having an affair with someone's wife, conspires to kill Uriah, Bathsheba's wife, and then creates this elaborate cover-up and thinks he's gotten away with it. One of his many, many mistakes. And in 2 Samuel chapter 12, the prophet Nathan comes and confronts him over his sin. Tells him a story, that, a fictitious story that, that kind of outs him and David gets all fired up and then Nathan says, that man is you. And, and there's this moment where David recognizes that he is a sinner, that he is a sinner, and his response is to be broken, that he cries out, I have sinned against God, and he falls on his face as a broken man, and he recognizes his brokenness. Two kings, two men who had the same anointing as to be kings over Israel, who both made egregious mistakes. One, the anointing lifts, and we remember him as the guy that God rejected. The other, we remember as a man after God's own heart. Why? Because David embraced his brokenness over his sin. See, without brokenness over our sin and brokenness before the Lord, we will never be in a place to receive restoration. If I'm not broken over my sin. Guys, this is not about just defeating my sin and getting over my sin. It's about God restoring me and bringing me to the place that he desires me to be. Because my sin will prevent me from being the person that God's created me to be. It will stand in the way. 
So my sin, when I'm broken over my sin, what I'm able to do is receive from God what he wants to do in my life. I want to show you a picture. This is uh, the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. There's a fishing boat out there. It's actually a tourist boat, but they're made to look like these old fishing boats. It's on this beach that Jesus has an encounter with his disciples after the resurrection. They had gone through this process of watching their Lord and Savior crucified. And Peter, after telling Jesus that he would never deny him, ends up denying him three times, just as Jesus said he would. And there's that moment as he's denying Jesus that Jesus looks up and locks eyes with Peter. I can't imagine what that look must have felt like for Peter. And now he's kind of in this place like, where do I stand with him? This man that I love, that I've walked with, that I made commitments to. Where do we stand? But we do know this, that Peter was broken over his sin. And so on this beach, and I'm going to read John 21, 15 through 17, but I want you to, I know there's tourists there. I, can, I asked them to move. They didn't. Um, <laughs> But would you just imagine that those people are gone? Would you imagine that John and, and Peter and the other disciples had been in the boat? Jesus calls out to them, friends, have you caught any fish? And they said, no. And he says, cast your nets on the other side. And they catch 153 fish. And Peter realizes it's Jesus. And he, he can't wait. He gets out of the boat and he starts swimming to the shore in the midst of his brokenness, he's like, Lord, I need you. And he shows up on the beach before everyone else. And Jesus already has a fire going and he's got some fish cooking already. And on this beach, so picture there's a fire and the disciples sitting around with Jesus. This is what Jesus says. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, Feed my sheep. This account is known as the restoration of Peter. It's so amazing here in the midst of Peter's brokenness, sitting face to face with the man he had denied. And Jesus starts this dialogue with him and he says, Peter, do you love me? And, and Peter in his brokenness genuinely, yeah, Lord, I love you. And I know I don't deserve your love, but, but I love you. And he asked him three times, and I find it kind of funny that Peter gets offended. But he's not offended by Jesus. He's hurt because of his brokenness. And you notice what Jesus says to him. He doesn't say, Peter, if you love me, don't do that again. Peter, if you love me, stop being a mess up. Stop making mistakes. Peter, if you really love me, you would perform better than this. He doesn't say any of those things. He says, Peter, because you love me, feed my sheep. Go do the thing I've called you to do. Because I'm looking ahead. I'm not looking at the past. I'm not caught up with what that is. You see, when, when our brokenness brings us to Jesus, what he does is he lifts us up. And he says, okay, I can set you on the rock. And I can set you in the direction I need you to go. But church, that moment doesn't happen until we recognize that we're just as broken as Peter, that we've denied him, that we've rejected him, that in our pride and in our arrogance have said, God, I can do this on my own. If we're going to boast, let's boast in this. We struggle, that we're weak, and in the midst of that, receive the restoration of Jesus Christ in our lives. Amen. Let's stand together.
So the secret is out. You're all a mess. You're all a mess. You're all broken. We all carry brokenness in ourselves. And there's layers and depth to this that we could preach a a year-long series on this and never exhaust it. See, but it's not about just hearing a sermon. It's about meeting Jesus in this place. So in this moment, would you allow this moment to be that beach moment in Galilee for you? Jesus calling to you and saying, hey, how's it going? Caught any fish? Feeling like a success? Then he calls and he embraces and he says, let me refresh you and then let me speak to you. So would you just close your eyes right now? And just in your own words, would you just quietly invite Jesus into your brokenness? Maybe even express what that might be in your life right now. Father, this morning we recognize and we cry out to you saying, God, we need you. We are desperate for you because we are so broken and we are so weak and we are so frail and fragile. And we do not comprehend how such a broken and weak, messed up people would have access to the God of the universe, but We do. And so we come before you this morning, Lord, and we bring our brokenness before you. Jesus, we invite you to speak life into those parts of our lives that are not honorable, that are fractured. God, that we would boast in you and you alone. So as we humble ourselves, Lord, as as we humble, humble ourselves before you this morning, would you lift us up? God, I pray that there would be restoration in hearts and minds this morning. And that you would set us on the path, Lord, that you've called us to. And that you would set our feet upon the rock. We give you praise in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.